0: To get serious.
1: Hey everyone, it's been a while since Emmy and I got to sit down and record. Uh, things haven't been amazing these past couple weeks, have they? Yes, of course we were going to do one of these little political things today. Um, but I'll tell you what, if you really don't want to hear this, you can just skip ahead to the four and a half minute mark, Okay. So really, we just wanted to take the opportunity to ask you all to please, if you are in a position to donate to a worthy cause right now, uh, in particular causes related to humanitarian efforts to help the people of Ukraine and civil rights groups that are combating these horrible anti-trans and anti-LGBT bills that seem to be springing up in state governments all over the country. Um, If you're able, set up monthly donations. Uh, A lot of groups tend to get a windfall when these topics hit the headlines, and then they dry up when um, those topics aren't trending on Twitter or whatever anymore. A dollar or $5 monthly donation to a charity might be more helpful than a 20 or $100 donation now one time because monthly contributions give charities a more dependable budget that they can use to plan ahead. So, um, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, give what you're able to, you know, and, and, and all that. But, you know, um, please keep all that in mind when you do. Um, secondly, we wanted to ask all of you to write to your state legislators and tell them not to pass these horrible laws if you live in a state that is trying to pass uh, anti trans legislation right now. Um, it is not hyperbolic at all to say that what's happening right now is an attempt at trans genocide by the GOP and it deserves uh, appropriate pushback and resistance. So find out who represents you at the state level and write email or call them asking them not to pass any anti-trans legislation Uh, talk to your governor as well and ask them to veto uh, any such bills should it come to that Uh, direct action like that might be the most important thing right now so you know if if your state is doing any of this stuff please find out who your reps are and uh, try to get some kind of correspondence to them Uh, the more voices we can get talking to these people saying don't do this uh, the less likely it is that any of this is going to pass uh there's all that going on and you know what hey there's still all the causes that we've all largely forgot about because all this stuff is happening you know like there's still uh cops that are doing some horrible things to black communities there are a lot of anti-asian hate crimes happening right now anything you can give to any kind of civil rights advocacy group right now is helpful obviously you know like it's not anyone's responsibility to take on all the world's problems, and it's completely understandable to just say, like, look, I I, I can only concentrate on one thing at a time. Like, that's normal. Do what you can. And having said all that, I mean, um, I I hope you're all doing okay. Like, um, we both hope you're all doing okay. It's understandable that a lot of folks are not okay right now. I hope you're able to confide in friends or family. Um, You know, talk to people. Uh, Tell them you're not okay. It's okay and just kind of natural to not be okay right now Um, especially if you are uh, among these vulnerable groups and hey if you have friends who are in those vulnerable groups uh, check in on them make sure they're okay and see if there's anything you can do for them Um, community is gonna be really really important right now uh, because you know there's strength and comfort in numbers Um, I wish I had more and better advice for everybody i i wish i could do more but um hey if you made it through this preamble um thank you for listening and uh i i really hope you're okay and and i hope you take care of yourself um and and keep wearing a mask everyone please just just keep wearing masks for now okay just just Alright, and uh, with all that out of the way, I guess we will uh, get back to trying to be a fun podcast about old video games, somehow. Oh no, my sword! It's Nescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo library with a few pit stops along the way. We play them briefly, judge them harshly, and we rank them. That is pretty much all you need to know. I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. And we are we are back. Um, it feels like we've been gone a while, but we just had the
0: the two really long episodes go up. But uh, yeah, we've been doing stuff. We just haven't been doing the main show in a little bit. So I. Uh... Welcome back, everybody. Uh, We got games for you. We do got games.
1: We got the first of the games released in July. Is that right?
0: That's right. Uh, That's July 93. Man, we've got some pretty interesting games today. Uh, I'm excited to talk about them. Uh, Definitely a big jump in quality from the games we talked about on the last sort of regular episode of this show. So, what do you say we get into it? I think that's a
1: great idea. And, uh, you know, I don't say this very often, but um, I'm feeling a little goofy today.
0: <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: folks, we're, we're talking about Goof Troop, uh, the game, based on the Disney afternoon... TV series, which itself is based on the Goofy character from old Walt Disney shorts featuring uh, the likes of Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. We're fleshing out Goofy's world
0: and giving him a kid. Um, yeah. Not a wife, though. We do not know what the situation is uh, with Goofy's love life, but yeah, uh, Goofy—he's a suburban dad. He wears an ugly sweater. His best friend is his uh, his neighbor Pete, who actually hates him. Did you watch this show? Is this one of the ones you you made time for as a kid? No, I I never really got into the Disney
1: afternoon. Like I I watched Ducktales when I was really young, but after that, I was
0: all about like. The Fox Kids stuff. Yeah, no, fair. I think Goof Troop was basically the last of the Disney afternoon shows that I watch regularly. I watched a lot of these. I was maybe a little bit too young for, like, gummy bears. And to some extent, a little too young for DuckTales, possibly. Uh, Because I do remember watching it, but not having a whole lot of an opinion about it. But yeah, Darkwing Duck, Rescue Rangers, and this one, and Tailspin were all ones I I was there for. I was also a big fan of uh, Goofy movie, and uh, I thought it was
1: great. And of course, you know, there's always the question when it comes to Goofy, like, okay, what is Goofy? We're pretty sure he's a dog, but like Pluto's a dog, but acts like a dog, whereas Goofy's a dog, but acts like a person. Yeah, I've never been comfortable with this. I, I'm not nearly as as weirded out by that as I am the fact that I, I believe that That Goofy's son Max, his name is Max Goof. Yes, that's right. Does that mean that Goofy's
0: name is Goofy Goof? I think it does. He's like a Mario. (laughs) He is, he's like Mario Mario. Goofy Goof. But yeah. And they made this Super Nintendo game, and I never played this or even knew it existed until it started appearing in speedrun marathons a while back. That was how I found out about this game, is watching people play it on, like, AGDQ and stuff.
1: Yeah, and uh, this one does come to us from Capcom. You know Capcom. They've got that intro that sounds like this. It's another one of these. It's another Capcom developed and published game based on a Disney property, um, specifically based on Disney TV show properties. Uh, They did a few movies as well, but I think a lot of the stuff that they made based on uh, TV shows is is maybe some of the the stuff that folks remember the best, like DuckTales and Rescue Rangers and Darkwing Duck on the NES. And yeah, this one kind of keeps up that legacy. I mean, I I don't know if this one is quite as well loved or remembered as some of those NES games. And, you know, and honestly, I I think for good reason, I do think that this one's got a few flaws that um, really hold it back from being an all time classic that those other ones did. But on the whole, this is a really good game.
0: Yeah, it is a really good game. I think this game is like, uh, possibly people know this game for like the weird bit of trivia that this was the first game that I think Shinji Mikami uh directed uh like the resident evil guy (laughs) yeah i believe you're right yes but yeah i think it is a good game i agree that it's not quite up to the caliber of like you know an all-timer like ducktales but it's interesting it's pretty original honestly and i had a lot of fun playing it what is this game how does
1: this work unlike a lot of capcom's other games based on disney properties this one is not a side scroller it is a sort of a top-down um almost Legend of Zelda-like game, perspective-wise anyway. Yeah. You play as Goofy and or Max, and it is a two-player co-op, if that's something you're into, which I think probably makes this game way more fun. And as those two, you are walking around single-screen areas looking for things, defeating bad guys and solving puzzles. Defeating bad guys normally revolves around picking up items around the room and throwing them at them. Or sometimes sliding blocks into the enemies and a lot of the puzzles involve sliding block puzzles so there's a there's a little bit of Legend of Zelda in there there's a little bit of Sokuban in there mm-hmm. maybe even a little bit of like Adventures of Lolo type stuff in there it's an interesting mix of game concepts that that I think works pretty well for the most part the the plot of this game is that uh Pete and PJ uh, uh Goofy and Max's neighbors have been kidnapped by pirates
0: yeah do you hate it when that happens huh
1: yeah uh, they're gonna Make a movie about it starring tom hanks actually tom hanks is going to play goofy uh That's
0: the role he was born <laughs> for really <laughs> you
1: uh, can pick up items if you're playing single player you can carry two items at a time that that uh, give you other abilities um, w- one of the items that i was coming across most frequently was a grappling hook that you could use to grab items from across the screen to then throw at enemies. It also has a secondary use where you can use it to form rope bridges, which will actually consume the item. There's a shovel that you can use to dig up buried treasure. Uh, there's planks you can use to uh, create bridges. It's, it's a neat game, Um what did you think of this? And you, did I did I miss anything important
0: about this game? Not really. I think you pretty much got it. In some ways, it feels like an adaptation of a non-existent arcade game in the late '80s when Capcom first started getting like really into making making games for the NES. A lot of their their games sort of were uh, like heavily expanded versions of an arcade game, like Bionic Commando, uh, you know, things like that, where they took like the basic concept of something that was fine in an arcade game and then added a lot of embellishments to it that wouldn't really work there, but do work really well in like kind of a a console game that you're meant to play for longer. You know, that kind of feels like this, like you could boil this down to something that you could, you know, put in an arcade pretty comfortably. But in this form, I, I like that it's a little bit more involved. So so the, the way this game is structured is uh, in levels, but the levels usually have a few different like branching paths you have to take through them to get things like keys or items that you need to bring back to another part of the level to progress. And I like that. I think it's pretty clever. I think there's some Clever usage of the items here. Like one you did not mention that I thought was pretty neat is the bell that you can ring and it kind of attracts enemies to you. So you can kind of bunch up a bunch of enemies on the other side of like a a sliding block and then hit them all with it to to knock them out. So yeah, no, I think that's neat. Uh, I think there's some stuff in this game that is a little bit fiddly that I don't really enjoy. Like it's pretty easy to like misjudge where you're throwing something and not hit the enemy that you you were trying to do. Also, a lot of the, the the kind of individual screens have like sort of multi-step puzzles going on where if you make a mistake you have to leave the screen and come back and start the puzzle over again. That's not super fun. Uh, I imagine that this game gets a little more playful feeling if you do have a second player with you, so I think that probably is the way to play this. But yeah, in general, I think this is neat uh, and I think that you know, it is a little bit overlooked as one of these like classic Capcom Disney games. So I would recommend people go check this out if uh, if they're they're in the mood for kind of like a, a light like kind of action puzzle game.
1: The thing with the puzzles didn't bother me too much because I, I usually didn't find it too difficult to just leave the screen and come back. And I felt like you know it's not
0: difficult. It's just like, you know, here we go again. You know,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I can kind of see that. Um, one thing that bothered me about this was I, I played this game a couple of times once as goofy, once is Max, and then once is goofy again. Max has a disadvantage in this game where he has to hit enemies multiple times before he can knock them out. Really? Yeah, and you're always limited by how many items are in the screen, because anytime you leave the screen uh, and come back, everything resets. So it can be really difficult to take out enemies when you're playing as Max. The, the one thing Max has to his advantage is that he moves faster than Goofy, but honestly...
0: That's not that much of an advantage, though. Like that's not- Yeah,
1: I didn't find that to be nearly enough to make up for his shortcoming of of needing more items on the screen to take out enemies, where, and where sometimes I just felt like oh, I don't even know if there's enough things in here for me to do this, especially... Yeah. That's especially a problem in rooms where you have to defeat all the enemies before you can progress, Um, because that means if you use up all the items and you still haven't taken out every enemy on the screen, you're going to have to leave the room and come back and try it again. I found that to be pretty annoying. That is pretty annoying.
0: I, I kind of just messed around with Max a little bit and didn't really like try to play through a whole stage with him. So I didn't really notice that. But it almost feels to me like they should have just made Max the second player character only, yeah. you know, and not had him be selectable if you're doing it single player, if they were going to do that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, that's so. that's kind of how I feel about it, too. I, I think it's uh I, I think really there's not a good reason to play as Max in single player just because it makes the game so much harder. I mean, I guess unless you've played through this game so many times and you really want to challenge, I suppose. But.
0: The echoes of Resident Evil are already here. It's uh, Goofy's Jill and Max's Chris. So, you know, <laughs> I, I do feel sorry for Pete that no matter how quickly you get that that antidote to him, he is going to die from uh, from from the poison. So... Nothing you can do about it, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, he'll come back as a zombie. It's fine. Yeah.
1: But actually one thing I do like about Pete in this game is that, um, as you progress through the game, you find out that the pirates didn't kidnap him. They think he's their captain, which I think it uh-huh. must be a reference to like old Pete
0: stuff, right? Right.
1: Yeah. The antagonist character, Pete, who this character is obviously based on like going back to like steamboat Willie, yeah. you know, era mm-hmm. cartoons that's pretty clever, actually. I like that, yeah. Yeah, I didn't get through the entire game to see how that whole thing resolves itself. Like, to see, like, oh, is there going to be, like, old Pete and, you know, the, the Pete from this right, universe? Right, yeah. Like, are, are that's they going to... That's fun. yeah. There are some, like, areas that feel, like, almost unfair... Uh-huh. And, and, and I feel like the game kind of knows it because there are areas in which, like, like there's a screen that I encountered in the fourth level where I was down to my last life. I had a shovel. The whole screen was diggable. And I just found enough items that I had eight lives by the end of leaving that screen. Like It almost feels like the developers knew. Uh-huh. Like, it's
0: like, yeah, they just jumped up that in here. Instead of, yeah. like,
1: spacing all that stuff out and just making a better paced game in that way. So that kind of stuff stuck out to me and felt kind of annoying to me. Like there, there's just some rooms that are just way more difficult than everything else. And you're just going to lose a bunch of lives and then have to get the back from another room, you know?
0: No, I mean, I think one of the things that tended to be kind of true about these Capcom Disney games is that they were often made under kind of some time constraints because Disney had like a ticking clock for when they wanted these things to be out. And I think in, the the NES games that mostly manifested in some of the games like frankly for example DuckTales or Darkwing Duck being just like really short but you know really good for what they were and with this I think because they went with sort of a little more of like a methodical puzzle design there are some bits that just would have really benefited from being tightened up and worked on a little bit more yeah yeah I think that that they they didn't really manage to do yeah
1: but, but on the whole, like the, the good Capcom production is mostly there. Music's
0: good. It looks like Goof Troop. Yep. It looks really good. Yeah. yeah, it looks like Goof Troop. I, I would say definitely give this one a shot if you've never played it before. Um, I was lying before. I don't think Pete dies in this game. Uh, I was just making another fun Resident Evil joke. And I, I don't really have a lot more to say about it. Do you have anything else you want to add before we go over to the list? No, I,
1: I think we could probably try ranking this one. And, uh,
0: you know, I, I'm... I'm feeling
1: like this one's... feeling pretty good about this, yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing that this reminded me of a little bit was Hook, just because, you know... Sure. Based on a Disney property, got pirates in there, the world map looks like this game probably has about the same amount of content that that one did, you know? I think that's probably true, yeah. It kind of made me think of Hook, but I, you know, so... Oh, would would Hook be a good place to start for this one at
0: number twenty two? Yeah, I th- I think so. I think this deserves to be considered in the same kind of range. Um, now the question is, do we think this is better or not as good as Hook? Uh, because I think you can make the argument that things like the co op and the the kind of like. Puzzly nature of this game versus Hook being sort of more of like a straight action game. Kind of put this in like a little bit of a different category, but I'm not sure which one which one is actually the better game.
1: Uh, I, I'm just trying to go over my head like which one of these do I think is doing a better job of being the kind of game that, that it obviously wants to be. It's a tough call because I think that they're both really, really solid with a few you know, areas that probably could have been a little bit better paced or just, you know, like just better designed. Definitely more the exception than the rule in both of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would say that like Hook's BSC kind of parts are pretty much like loaded at the back of the game. I think that like that last level in Hook is... Yeah, that last level of Hook is brutal.
0: It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. yeah. Whereas like with Goof Troop, I I found those sorts of places scattered throughout the game, but also like... I got through it and then the game almost always like gave me all the lives back that I lost in that one room somewhere else in the level,
0: you know? So yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's a tough call. Um, Well, okay. So hook actually has a few games. This is actually a pretty good place. I think somewhere around here, because the games right below hook are tiny tunes, Buster, bust loose and the magical quest starring Mickey mouse. And I think these are all in like a similar similar vein of quality. To yeah, Goof Troop. but I would definitely say, like personally, I think I would
1: play Goof Troop again before I would go back to Tiny Toons or The Magical Quest starring Mickey. I,
0: I agree. Yeah, I'm maybe a little more inclined to to put Hook over Goof Troop, just because I think there are aspects of like its production that are really are that are really impressive to me. You know, it's, it has really nice graphics and um, is, is trying to do some like really good stuff with the Super Nintendo hardware in that way. But yeah, I don't know. I, like, I think I'm with
1: you. I, I think I'm OK with with putting this right below. Yeah. Hook. So this is going to be our new number 23, I think.
0: Yes. New number 23 between Hook and Buster Bust Loose. Really
1: good one. Really good game. I really enjoyed my time with this one. And I, I think I've made I think I made it further into this game than a lot of games that we've played recently. So, yeah, yeah, I just, yeah, I, I had a really fun yeah, time with this. Definitely. One, so. All right. Well, I guess we will move on to the next game. We talked about this one a little bit uh, in our discussion with Trevor about the uh, Nintendo Power issue
0: 50. Yeah, he had played this one. Uh, this one is Evo, the search for Eden. So this is a, a strange game. So Enix is is uh, as I think we 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 talked about. Whenever an Enix game has come out before, Enix is not really quite like a traditional publisher. They didn't really have like internal development teams. They were basically like an overall umbrella company that would license various developers to make games for them. Who made this game actually?
1: Yeah. So this was made by Allmanic
0: or. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that's how that's pronounced. Yeah, I think so. That's the best I could come up with. Yeah,
1: and uh, not a whole lot of uh, games from that studio, from what I can tell. Um, They've got a pretty brief entry on Moby Games. Uh, I could probably do a deep dive into them later, maybe, if we come across another one of those games. I think we'll come across at least one more, but... Uh Uh, I got a lot to say about First Samurai later today, so we're probably going to keep that one brief. <laughs> but Sure, sure. Yeah, uh, All Manic uh, developed this one.
0: Yeah, and um, the one, I, I think, notable uh, person involved in this production I do uh, want to mention uh, is the person who composed the music for this, uh, which the music in this game, uh, I will say straight up, is very good. Uh, I think it's an excellent soundtrack that makes really good use of the Super Nintendo sound hardware. Uh, It is composed by Koichi Sugiyama, the uh, very, very bad human being who uh, composes the music for all of the Dragon Quest games. He is, uh, you know, a, a very storied composer in Japan for both video games and, and also for for like film and stuff. He is also a truly garbage human being. And um, that's pretty much all I'll say about that. Uh, maybe we should just talk about the, the actual game. This is a really strange one. This is a weird game. Yeah, this is the first of
1: two weird games we're going to talk about today. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I will say I
0: like weird I do too this game has some mechanical issues that we'll get into but I would much rather play a weird game like this than a a uh incredibly competent really boring game
1: yeah we uh we used to do a show called That's a game where we would just talk about r- weird games on youtube we don't really do that anymore maybe someday we'll go back to that concept but this
0: would have been a if we had known about this game this would have been a prime game for that oh, show, yeah. though, because it's it's deeply weird in a whole bunch of different ways so uh what's the deal with with what's the deal with <laughs> with evo with
1: evo you play as a fish thing at first and you are trying to go around and eat other fish things and uh Uh, You're trying to find crystals so that you can evolve, sort of. Um, Also, you get evolution points for eating things, which you can then uh, spend to upgrade your fins or your horns or your your jaws or whatever and, and become a more powerful animal. It is a really interesting concept for a game. Uh, the game starts out where, you know, again, like I said, you're a fish, so you've got, you know, full range of of movement. You can move up, down, left, right, because you're in the water. Uh, it is a, you know, two-dimensional side-scrolling kind of affair. I, mm, I don't even know where to start with this one, really, because there, there's a lot going on here. Um, I was really worried that this would actually be a game that would be really overwhelming to me at first, but it does really ease you into it. Like, once, when you start the game, your objective is pretty simple, just... Get from point A to point B and eat as many things as you can and do not get killed.
0: So I guess to go back a little more, let's talk about like the setup for this game, which is essentially that uh, the sun, who is like a a god, basically, it's just the sun, like you see it in the opening and it's a big ball of fire, creates its nine children, which are the planets, and it bestows upon its third child, uh, Gaia the power to create life. And it also tells Gaia that there is a, a being that will kind of travel the paths of life that, that life takes on, on the planet. And uh, if they are able to kind of see this path through across all the different uh, kind of epochs of life on Earth and evolve to their highest state, they will become Gaia's partner and will be able to will be allowed entry into Eden, and they will guide the future of life on Earth together. And that's you. You're a thing. You you do start out as a fish. Uh, you are given the ability to evolve different parts of yourself, like like Steampunk Link said. And then after that, uh, you're not a fish anymore. You you become like a little salamander that gets to turn into different kinds of lizards. Uh, and then a dinosaur, and uh, finally you get to become various types of mammals. Uh, and the the final kind of end goal is to evolve into a human. So for the the evolution points that you get for for eating other things, you can like spend those like currency on different parts of your body to evolve them. And it's a pretty cool effect. Like you can really make a bunch of different. Different kinds of creatures that all have like different different stats and different sort of minor variations on their abilities. It even gives you the opportunity to to like save various permutations so that you can kind of turn back into those later when it's when it's necessary. Yeah, it's weird, and it does basically evolve from being like essentially the water levels of a platform game to uh, you know a, a kind of. Uh, side-scrolling, kind of exploration-based action platformer. And the complexity does ramp up as you go along. So it uh, it starts giving you more options for things that are trade-offs. Like when you become a dinosaur, it tells you if you become a two-legged dinosaur, then uh, you'll have much better jumping ability. But if you are a four-legged dinosaur, you'll have much better defense. That kind of thing. And um, it doesn't really tell you exactly how all of those changes are gonna play out so sometimes you can get a new part for your body that actually makes another part worse so there's a lot of kind of trial and error a lot of kind of feeling things out yeah there's just overall a very strange like sort of comedic but also slightly like philosophical vibe to this game that is really interesting It's a strange game that I think is very cool to play, even though sometimes it's not always that fun to play.
1: I was intrigued by the premise. I I think the gameplay is pretty good, but I just found it kind of tedious to the point where I really didn't get much further than the, the fish era. No. Um, I think I got to be a salamander for a little while, but then I had to turn back into a fish for some reason. You do,
0: and yeah. That's like the first thing that happens when you become a salamander. is You then have to go back into the water and become a fish for a little while. I do not know why they made that choice. That's a bad choice. That was kind of weird. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't make it very
1: far into this. It it kind of reminded me of uh, of Ys in a way where – I just felt like a lot of my time just had to be spent, like, well, I guess I better just go back through this level again so that I can grind out some more XP. Yeah. Um, yeah, because there's a there's a boss fight near the end of the first area uh, in the water that's pretty tough if you're
0: under leveled. Yeah, and like that boss fight's really frustrating because it comes at the the end of what is like the longest level the game has had so far, and if you die during it you have to co- go all the way back through the level again, which is really annoying. And also, that boss... I didn't realize this when I was playing the, the game, but I, I i looked up a long play of it later, which is how I know most of the stuff I uh, i just said about the later parts of this game. That boss does actually have like a pattern where it stuns itself eventually, uh, and you can get like a bunch of free hits on it. But that's not really that clear from just playing the game. Like, you would have to, like, be kind of lucky to see that, um, to start with, because that boss can really burn through your HP really quickly. Yeah,
1: I I think I actually discovered its weakness just by circumstance. Like, it basically, when it dashes at you, if it hits a wall, it will knock itself out and get stunned, yeah. So I, I just happened to have that um, happen pretty early in the fight, so I've kind of learned what the what the loop was more or less, but it was still pretty tough. It still took me a couple of tries before I actually managed to defeat it. Um, and yeah, like you said, like up to that point, death is sort of not a big deal because you just get thrown back to the beginning of the level, which up to that point, levels were pretty short. Right. Yeah. So yeah, having to do that, like it felt like that boss fight maybe should have been its own
0: level. It within. should have been its own stage. I think. Yeah. From what I can see from like the later parts of the game, that, kind of pattern continues it's an odd game there isn't really anything else like it but yeah i I i'm glad it exists but i don't think it's actually that fun of a game to play there probably was potential to like kind of make a sequel to this game that you know really kind of like honed in on the more interesting parts at the expense of the the kind of like annoying grindy stuff but uh it's kind of a shame that doesn't exist as far as i know it's neat, um, but, you know, I would have a hard time recommending it
1: outside of just, you know, like, hey, are you, you know, looking for something that you can really settle into and that you're going to be grinding a lot in? You know, like, if, if, if you're that type of, of player, then, you know, this is a pretty good one of those. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you're looking for
0: something more streamlined, this might not do it for no, you. No, maybe not. And, um, yeah, like, I, I think this is a good one to watch a, a you know, a long play of, certainly, or or maybe actually a speed run. I don't know what speed runs of this look like, but I bet they'd be pretty interesting. Um, Well, with
1: with speed runs, though, you're not going to have people, you know, really looking at the dialogue and you're going to miss out on things like whispers amongst the cucumbers.
0: Oh, yeah, I love. Yeah. So this is the way that a lot of this game's story is conveyed is you'll just sort of like come up on uh a screen and some of the like random creatures like just generic faceless creatures or even plants uh like seaweed at one point is just uh talking you know they're, they're just talking to each other and they're like the sharks are really scary if only we were able to move faster uh we could be free of them and then we could live on land and it would be wonderful Yep, and and it's, then, it's great. And then you can turn around
1: and say, ha ha, thanks for the information and eat them.
0: You eat, Yeah, that's great. Like <laughs> later on, you actually do have like, you know, characters that come They're like, please save my father from the King Bee, you know, and you can be like, yeah, I'll do that. And then you can just eat the salamander or whatever. Um, the other thing that's super strange that uh, I really like in this game is that. There is actually, like, an overall antagonistic force in this game that you become slowly aware of. And the way you become aware of it is that you hear, like, these voices just sort of whispering to each other, kind of outside the bounds of reality. (laughs) And, like, it turns out that these are, like, these are, like, Martians that are trying to guide the course of evolution. And they think they're doing a good job, but they're really not. (laughs) And, like, that's a weird element that kind of introduces itself over the course of this game uh yeah this game's phenomenally uh idiosyncratic and i I really like that about it i like a lot of things about this game i just don't really like playing it
1: yeah this game would also become famous for i guess inspiring every piece of information ever uh spouted on the history channel in the last couple decades pretty much pretty much (laughs) (laughs) i wish i was more into this game because i i do think this is something really cool really unique for the super nintendo and it gets most of it right it's just you know i wish it were more streamlined and yeah but yeah so um
0: this is gonna be a tough one to rank it's gonna be a very tough one to rank because i like you i don't know that i can really recommend this game but i do want more people to experience it yeah i mean honestly i think i'm still looking kind of high like i mean me too yeah I, i mean even the stuff that's bad about this game is still like better than a lot of games that we have actually played. Um yeah. So yeah, I think uh you mentioned East, right? East yeah. Three, Wanderers from East. How do you feel about that as a comparison it's,
1: point? It's tough because on the one hand, I think like this is a more interesting kind of game than East Three is, but also I'm wondering, how is East Three still number forty on our list?
0: <laughs> it got in early. It, it got did. in early and then there were not that many things that we were willing to of say we're we're definitively better than it for a long time so, yeah i mean like yeah.
1: i ugh, that one might be one that's due for a re
0: reckoning yeah it might I mean, be. like it, it's not a bad game it's not a bad game but it's wild to think that we have said that it is like in the top third of super nintendo games at yeah because
1: i'm like seeing things like that i'm seeing like magic sword at 55 i'm like what
0: wait a minute yeah, it? I'm looking at it, and hmm. I'm like, you know, Joe and Mac might have been a better game than East three. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Well, yeah. we'll we, this will we'll, have to we'll, be a conversation we'll tackle for another that day. In time, yeah. Yes.
1: Um. Okay. All right. Um. You know what? I like Congo's Caper more than this game. Congo's Caper, just a simple, fun little arcade-style yeah. platformer. Yeah. Um. That's cute. I, I think I enjoy that more than this. Joe and Mac, I, if I remember correctly, was a little bit, um, a little bit buggy, a little bit weird. Yeah, but it's a little janky.
0: Fun. Uh, pretty fun. Um, very much an an arcade, uh, action platformer, which uh, is not actually a thing you see too too much of. It was very much a game that seemed felt like it was designed for the arcades and then put on the Super Nintendo. But a fun game and a game with good co op play. Uh, you know, the other thing that I was thinking of, which is a little bit lower down here, is Shadow Run.
1: You know, oh, I was just gonna say that. I was just gonna say Shadow Run is like. Almost like a uh, an immersive sim type thing, which, again, is not a right, thing we yeah. see on the Super Nintendo outside of that game. No, it's not. Yeah. So, yeah, like these are two very different games. I think, though, Shadowrun is doing a better job at what it is than Evo is. So, But I do think yeah, that I, Shadowrun's a great game to compare it to, though.
0: Yeah, um, I, I I agree with that for sure. Hmm. Does this go right below Run? Because, you know, I don't. I, don't f- I think it could. I think I'd play it over Rampart, which is the game that is currently right below Shadowrun. Yeah, yeah. So maybe this is our new number 60. Okay. I think that's a pretty good showing for Evo, yeah. personally.
1: All right. So congratulations, Evo. The Search for Eden, you are our new number 60. I feel I feel all right about that.
0: I feel pretty good about that. One more thing I want to shout oh, out yeah. about Evo before we move on. Uh at the end of each um kind of era when your your character like transports forward to the next era, um you get to go through what I think is the best animated door on the Super Nintendo. So, uh shout outs to that door. It's very cool looking. All right. Shout outs to doors. We love doors here. We love doors. That's what, Goof Troop, should, that's what Goof, Goof Troop should have had, really. Uh, it should have had a long door opening animation between each screen, like Resident Evil. Uh, that, you know, that, that's the one thing that's missing from that one.
1: Okay, so with all that out of the way, I guess we just have one game left to go for today. And it's, it's another strange one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, what, what have we got here? Uh, this is First Samurai. I don't actually know like what what it is about this particular samurai that makes him the first samurai. In, in a way, it seems like he's kind of the last samurai because he seems like he's he's like a descendant of of another samurai. Yeah,
0: I don't I don't know. I don't really get that title honestly. Even with this game's kind of extensive like story cutscene at the beginning of it, I don't really understand what the deal is with that. He is a bit of a samurai jack, I think. That's sort of his deal in some ways, actually. But what's what uh, where does this come from? What what's the deal? Uh, what's the de- oh, sorry, I already did that
1: one. <laughs> that, that that could just be your gimmick now. Like just, what's the that deal? That could be the
0: runner this me doing me doing a really bad Jerry Seinfeld impression. Um, there is no bad Jerry
1: Seinfeld impression.
0: That's actually kind of true. That's kind of true. They're all good in their own way. Well, first samurai, this one's got a story to it. Yeah, please regale us.
1: Yes, uh, this comes to us from publisher Kemco, uh, who we've talked about before and probably will again, and also uh, developer Vivid Image. Uh, this is the first of only two games the company made that ended up on the Super Nintendo. Uh, the company's gamography is pretty short, and their Moby Games biography was almost certainly written by someone who worked there, uh, perhaps the company's founder uh, himself, uh, uh, whose name is Mevlut Dink. I... And uh, probably mispronouncing that horribly, I apologize. Uh, he went by the nickname, or I mean probably still does, I assume, uh, uh, Mev Dink. He is a uh, Turkish developer. He had been finishing up a degree at a Turkish university in 1979 when he moved to the UK after marrying an English woman. Uh, unfortunately, he was not able to pay for grad school in the UK and ended up working in a cable manufacturing facility in Southampton. While there, a friend and co-worker got him interested in computers, and the pair bought ZX Spectrums in 1983 when the systems first came out. Uh, Mev, who at this point had never been terribly interested in computers before meeting his friend at the, the factory, uh, and didn't know a thing about programming, didn't take to the machine right away. It took him a few weeks just to get all the peripherals set up, and uh, the instruction manual was daunting at the time for him as his English was limited and uh, learning BASIC felt overwhelming. But uh, Mev started picking up computer magazines and uh, uh, an article about programming games caught his eye as the author of the piece recommended game developers not bother writing in BASIC and write their games in machine code instead. So he gave programming another shot, and over the next two years, he would teach himself how to make games, uh, started trying to make a computer version of a traditional Turkish board game called Nine Men's Morris. The first game with his name on it to actually be released to the public was called Jerry the Germ Goes Body Poppin'. Oh, God. Um He pitched the game to Mirrorsoft, who weren't crazy about the idea of asking players to take on the role of a germ that was infecting people, Uh, but uh, a man named Tony Rainbird saw promise in the game, and he happened to be the managing director of Firebird, which was the publishing arm of uh, of a British telecom. Uh, The game launched on the Spectrum and the Amstrad, with Dink coding both versions, and a C64 version soon followed, which was ported by another programmer. The game sold well and even made a small splash in the U.S., and Dink ended up moving over to Activision studio Electric Dreams to create his second game called Prodigy, which was an isometric shooter. Uh, Dink worked on a few other projects with the company before leaving in 1987 after a brief stint helping System 3 create a sequel to their game, The Last Ninja. Oh, maybe that's where the name comes from. <laughs> Dink,
0: oh, First Samurai, Last Ninja. Yeah. Okay. Uh,
1: Dink formed his own company in 1988 called Vivid Image, and their first game uh, was called Hammer Fist, which released in 1990 for computer systems like the Amstrad, Amiga, and others. Uh, this was followed up with Time Machine the same year, and First Samurai in 1991, which was programmed by Raphael Seco. Uh, Dink, Secco and the team at Vivid would make a sequel to First Samurai, the appropriately named Second Samurai, for the Amiga and Genesis, and Street Racer, which came out on the Senes and a lot of other systems. Uh, as the 90s drew to a close, things weren't going great for, Viv- for Vivid Image, though. Uh, Though their collaboration with Ubisoft for Street Racer bore fruit, the same couldn't be said of their follow-up, Scars, the PlayStation N64 Racer, which was not very well received. Uh, Even worse, IDOS Interactive, who would have been publishing Street Racer 2, canceled all of their PlayStation projects. Uh, Dink decided he'd done all he could do in the UK, moved himself and his company to his home country of Turkey, Uh, Vivid ever only developed one game after that, 2002's Dual Blades for the Game Boy Advance, Uh, but Dink would go on to form a new company, Dink Interactive, uh, which uh, he founded in Turkey and would later become Sobi Studios, which is where he developed some of the country's first online games. Uh, Since then, Dink has left that company, returned to England. In 2016, he reunited with uh, Raf Seko and launched a Kickstarter to make a third Samurai game, Unfortunately, the Kickstarter ended up being cancelled, and so were any plans to make Third Samurai soon after that. Dink founded Inventuna Games in 2021, uh, which has been working on a blockchain-based RPG ever since. Uh,
0: that's too bad. That's a bummer way for that story to end.
1: Yeah, not great. But uh,
0: But, you know, hey, this first
1: Samurai game is alright.
0: It is! It's very alright. game Uh, i will say just because of my sort of like inborn uh dislike of a lot of the like european platform game uh tropes uh i did not have high expectations for this at first but it actually really surprised me and i really enjoyed playing this yeah so this one is strange um
1: in a different way from evo evo is kind of strange just because its whole concept is strange where this one just has weird stuff in it that I really, really appreciate. Um, I guess I should start at the you know what this game is. Uh, this is a side-scrolling 2D platform game in which you play as the titular first samurai. I assume he's the the titular first samurai. Uh, you've got a sword most of the time. You can uh, use that to to slash enemies and weird demons and things that get in your way. The levels in this game are not very straightforward. It, this game's levels are have a very exploratory sort of quality to them, where you're not just going to be moving simply from left to right, but you're going to be going, you know, down into caverns and, you know, up onto buildings. The the levels have very interesting layouts for what you would normally expect from this kind of game. Yeah. Uh, this game also has some really unique elements to it in the form of like uh, bells, which. Uh, You kind of just have to intuit where to use them. They will summon spirits that will help clear
0: paths for you. There's sort of like additional things you can get, like a rotating, like almost like an option in like a scrolling shooter, like a little thing that flies around you and hits enemies. Yeah,
1: (laughs) which uh, makes the game a lot easier. You want to get that thing early and hang on to it. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's also just, you know, your your basic pickups like food, which will uh, give you your health back. You can lose your sword. Uh, your sword does have like a, its own energy meter. And uh, in, in a mechanic that's actually like surprisingly forgiving for this vintage of games, if you lose all of your health, you'll actually get health back in the form of your sword meter. You will lose your sword, but because your sword meter tends to build back up over time, it actually makes for a pretty forgiving mechanic where just going through the levels, you're unlikely to die. Yeah. Bosses are another story, but Mm -hmm. I found that mechanic to be um, like enough of a safety net that I could pretty much just forge through levels and really explore without worrying too much about losing a life.
0: Yeah, and um, there are also kind of like teleporters around the levels that you can use a consumable item to... To allow you to return to earlier parts of the levels, uh, which is sometimes, like, if not necessary, then a very good thing to do to be able to get additional items or to kind of replenish your your sword meter. There is a certain kind of style that a lot of, uh, I think, European computer games have, like very embellished and busy visual style. And I thought this game had that at first. It's got like a big bar across the bottom of the screen that has all of your info in it uh, for like what items you have. Uh, It has like big, chunky characters and, um, you know, kind of really uh, almost like garishly detailed like backgrounds. But I actually found this game really easy to parse and uh, really easy to navigate the levels, even though they are pretty complicated, which um, is really impressive for this kind of game. Uh, That's not something I can say about a lot of other games that are coming out of this particular sort of uh, tradition of a platform games.
1: Yeah, um, and, and uh, the other thing about those jars, that, going back to that really quick, is that they are useful because uh, the other big mechanic in this game is that you have to find five runes before you can challenge the boss at the end. Right, um, yeah. So that's where a lot of that exp- exploration comes in because sometimes those runes can be pretty far off the beaten path. The first time I played through the first level, I actually missed one and I had to go back and work my way Back through the level to find it.
0: Yeah, that, that did happen to me as well. <laughs>
1: so, yeah. Um, this game has a lot of little secret things you can find by, like, slashing walls. Sometimes you'll you'll find food in the walls. Um, the the bells are a little bit strange because uh, sometimes you'll just be at an area where there's no way to pass. And you just have to know, oh, hey, you need to stand here and use this bell. Yeah. then the spirit will be summoned and he'll change the environment in some way for you. Uh, maybe they'll cause rain to fall which will put out fires so that you can progress uh sometimes it'll make hidden uh platforms appear so you can cross waterfalls um that mechanic is a it gets a little bit more esoteric as you go through stages
0: and i don't think you can actually use them in the wrong place i think it just doesn't do anything but um, but yeah, like it starts off being like very clear about where you should use those bells, but that definitely stops happening <laughs> after a couple of levels, which yeah. is a little unfortunate. But yeah, uh, your guy he uh, he has a really wide arc to his attack with his sword, so it's actually pretty easy to hit hit most enemies in this game. Uh, he can climb walls. He has a pretty good jump. I never felt like. Uh, I was at a loss for things I could do at any point in this, which I appreciated. Uh, I think that can really be kind of like a death knell for games with kind of maze-like, puzzly levels, is when you're just like, okay, well, I'm nearly dead, and I don't know where to go, and I can't do anything now. Um, That didn't really happen to me in my time with this, even though it it can get kind of challenging. The bosses are uh, not... Not probably my favorite part of this game, but they're okay. They're usually like just like a big thing you have to hit a bunch of times, basically.
1: So there's all that, but I don't even think we've really like explained the weird stuff about some of this yet.
0: Like, this game makes a
1: hell of a first impression. This game has got like some pretty great sounds that. That pop in there um
0: yeah you, you did one of them uh, at the start of the episode actually yes whenever you yeah. uh
1: lose your sword the character will just say oh no my sword and you will lose your sword if you uh run out of sword energy um which you know I found was usually happening when I lost all of my health and had to sacrifice my sword energy to get my health back. Your sword power builds back up over time, and once you get to a certain threshold, um, it will just magically appear in your hand again. And then your samurai will exclaim, "My sword!" and because uh, he's he's happy, he's got it back. And then um, that happens right as you start the game, so you know it like right away. You're just like, "Oh, okay, this is a game with talking in it." All right. Um, I also love how. <laughs> the, the alleluia chorus <laughs> chimes in whenever you yeah. find
0: a hidden item. Fantastic. This game's like overall aesthetic is really weird too, because it's like, I think they were trying to go for like a little bit of like a kind of traditional Japanese, like ukiyo e art style for the guy, but he's actually kind of a hideous sprite. <laughs> um, he's like big and muscly and weird looking, uh, and very, very severe, He is a samurai who is traveling through time to defeat the Demon King. You go to some pretty different places than you might expect for how this game starts. Like, it starts off with, like, uh, you're in what looks like it might be kind of a a sort of, like, naturalistic, you know, rural Japan setting that still has a bunch of weird stuff in it. But then you go to a train going through space, and it's like... You're on the time train.
1: Yeah, I have an anecdote, actually, about this. So uh-huh.
0: um,
1: as I was finishing up that first level, which, you know, like you said, does look like it could be like a rural, maybe feudal Japanese setting yeah. that looks, you know, appropriate for the character, who is obviously a samurai. So as I was finishing that stage and, and defeated the boss, my my wife came in while I was playing. And then, uh, you know, and she, she asked me, you oh, know, what are you playing? It's like, oh, it's called First Samurai. So she's watching me beat this boss. And then the samurai
0: teleports away. He blinks out like Mega Man. Like he stretches and like kinda like fades out. Like yeah. he's being, you know, transported out. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then some text pops up saying that the samurai was teleported onto a time train. And so I look at my wife and I was like, so is that what you were expecting? Were you expecting time train in this samurai game? Because I wasn't.
0: <laughs> yeah, time time train. Then you go to like a like kind of neon future Japan. Then you're back in time, I think. And then you ride the demon elevator and yeah, all kinds of stuff like that.
1: It's wild. And I, I love how weird it is. It almost feels like, like this company run by a, a Turkish man based in the UK, trying to interpret like a weird Japanese samurai story. So you've got like all those filters you know, to go through to get to Samurai Story, it's almost like weird in the way that like like Deadly Premonition is Twin Peaks through the filter of a, a Japanese company. You know, right? Yeah, like, it's I, it's I got that, that same yeah. kind of weirdness to it that I really, really love and appreciate. I could not beat the boss of the third stage. Um, I think if I had more time, I probably could have. Worked my way through it, but I've, i found that one to be kind of a brick wall for me in a way that the first two bosses weren't. Like I, I kind of figured those two out pretty quickly, but other than that third boss, though, you know, like I, I found myself able to make progress without too much trouble. You know, it just right yeah requires some exploration and just being aware of like oh there's a rune down there I'm probably gonna have to come back there and grab that uh, when I have access to this area here. So this is a really weird side-scrolling platform game and I am really glad this is on the Super Nintendo I am I am glad I got to play it uh me too me too not not the best side scroller out there but very different and and a lot of fun and and yeah folks who like games from this era should check it out if they haven't already I
0: I would say yeah uh, hard agreement let's go to the list I guess uh, might be kind of a kind of an interesting conversation to have about where, where this should go one of the
1: closest things I might or like like something that pops out to me right away would be something like super valus four or maybe musia
0: okay i think it's a lot better than both of those games personally but i i see where you're coming from in terms of the comparison there
1: yeah i mean i, I really do like musia
0: um but it's me too also, me too it's yeah it's a little bested in some ways but but yeah i, I thought musia was was pretty cool where, where do we have musia right now uh, musia's at 84 okay yeah because like this is in kind of a difficult position where uh there are some games that I think stick out to me as comparisons to this but that I frankly think are better games than this so I don't know how they're how useful they are in terms of of comparing here. A game that I I think we put pretty high that I actually do think I like first samurai more than is BOB which is at 33 right now which is quite high. I don't know how I feel about putting First Samurai this high. Bob was a pretty solid platformer, and it was uh, a solid platformer and a pretty solid shooter as well. Which this is not, so that's not really you know a great comparison in that way. But th- yeah, where, where do
1: we put the other two games? Because okay, so we got Goof Troop up at twenty three, and then what, we, what did we do with? Uh,
0: we oh, put Evo. Uh, okay, so
1: sixty. So yeah, I guess I'd be okay with putting this closer to Goof Troop than
0: Evo. So. Yeah. So you said this. You think this goes above Bob? Yeah, but maybe like just above Bob. Like I don't really think I could say that. I think it's better than Mario Paint or Legend of the Mystical Ninja. I just think those are both like tighter and better put together products than this. But just yeah, I I do really like First Samurai, and I like how it's using some like gameplay concepts that I'm not usually a fan of in ways that I really enjoy. So. So yeah, I would probably put it above Bob, but below Mario Paint. What do you okay. think?
1: I think I'm
0: okay with that. I think I'm good with it. New number thirty-three, first samurai. So yeah, honestly, a really good, a really good week for games. I think yeah, really um, strong showing for this. Uh, yeah, for the, for
1: the as we start July of ninety-three, which will be a much shorter month than June was as well. It will, us. yeah. All right. Well, so we've we've got all that down, and in fact, we're we're already kind of like winding up July of nineteen ninety three. Yeah, that's true. Actually, uh, we've only got four games left for July of nineteen ninety three. So we're going to break those out into two episodes. So we're going to do two and two again. Yeah, uh, as we as we like to do with some of these. So, uh, so what do we got next time? So uh, next time, okay, next time might not be quite as great as uh, <laughs> this was. Uh, we've got. Uh Nigel Mansells World Championship Racing. Okay. Not sure if I pronounced that correctly and uh super baseball 2020 haven't seen baseball in a while i've not seen um, baseball in a while that's true uh i hope it's better than it was when we were talking about it because boy i did not i don't think i found a baseball game i've liked on this system not, so not far. really
0: there's some we liked more than others but that's only relative to other baseball games so yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so we'll uh We'll, we'll see we'll if see. the
1: baseball's getting better. Hey, everyone. Thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, thanks for sticking with us over the, the long break. Sorry we didn't get um, the bonus episode scheme that I wanted to do done because, you know, it, it, folks, it's been a rough couple of weeks. Let's face it. Um,
0: yeah, it has. Uh, we hope you're all doing OK out there. Yeah. yeah that This uh, podcast was a uh, a fun, a fun break for you. Yeah.
1: So, you know, actually, you know, I, I, I know I'm, I'm probably going to have like a little, um, PSA or something of being at the beginning of the episode, but I do want to say really quick, um, what I would like to do is I would like to have a list of various charities for various causes, um, just listed somewhere on our website. Um, so what I would ask folks who are listening, uh, if you know of any good charities, uh, particularly ones, you know, with, with, um, knife for either civil rights defense, um, bail bonds, things like that. Um, advocacy for, um, LGBT rights, uh, specifically, you know, trans rights and especially trans rights advocacy groups located within states where some of these really horrible bills are trying to be passed right now. You know, send me, um, you know, send me links to some of these charities. I can check them out. I'd really like to have, you know, a, a big list that folks can, check out and, you know, uh, feel like they're helping out by, by donating some money here and there. Um, want to make that easy for, for people. I think that would be a cool thing to do. Um, I'll see, you know, and obviously I'll do some research myself as well. Uh, we'll see if we can get something like that going on the website in the next month or so. That would be, I, I would, I would be happy doing that, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll probably need help from people just to kind of, you know, curate some links.
0: And, uh, yeah. Uh, until then, uh, we hope, we hope, you have you have a good uh you have a good couple of weeks out there folks uh we hope things are are going well for you and uh that you're you're you know uh you're getting through it uh and uh until next time uh i'm Amy zero i'm super Public. play it loud
1: Our intro-outro song is How Now, Brown Cow by TechnoAxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at TechnoAxe.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com.
0: I saw that uh, at school, actually. Somebody played it at... During, like, one of those days when, like, you know, it's, like, almost the end of the year and uh, the teacher doesn't really want to teach anymore. So we watched a Goofy movie. They pulled out the big cart with the TV on top? Yes, exactly. They pulled out the AV cart with the big TV that had the integrated VCR. Uh,
1: you, you kids today t- will, not, will never understand the joy of... Going into class and seeing that, knowing like, oh, we're watching movies today. All right. Uh, It's really true. Yeah. uh, Good times. Good times.